It is a glorious privilege to be able to assemble with the saints of God on the Lord's Day. And I think after the number of weeks that we had where we were not able to be together in one group, I think we have now an even greater appreciation for it than we did in times past. As we said just a moment ago, we are glad that you're here this morning. And our prayer is that at our time together would be a source of strength and encouragement to each of us, that we can join our hands and our hearts together in the worship of God, and we'll leave here and say that truly, we have been blessed by having been here this morning. Every nation in its time has had its memorial days. Those days when past victories have been celebrated. Those times when the deeds of heroes have been recounted. Occasions when reverent appreciation has been shown for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Tomorrow marks the national observance of Memorial Day in these United States. And to be sure, this year our celebrations are going to be much different from those that we've been used to in times past. In normal years, tomorrow, all across America, in great cities and in small towns, people would be celebrating with parades and with speeches and prayers that were being said, patriotic songs being sung, and great massive gatherings of people. All in honor of those who gave their lives in times of war. Gave their lives so that you and I could assemble here today, and that we would be able to worship God without fear of government. And Memorial Day is a beautiful way of paying tribute to those men and women for their sacrifice. It's also an effective way to keep us from forgetting and contrary to our popular practice in years past and our popular understanding, this day that we call Memorial Day, it means much more than cookouts and massive quantities of smoked meats and boating and ribs and swimming and brisket and well, you see where mine goes. Memorial Day has a much deeper, much greater meaning than those things. Memorial Day is a time for us to remember that first group of patriots. Those men who were poorly clothed, half-starved, untrained, and badly equipped yet who, in spite of their adversity, faced death to secure for us a nation. Two thousand of them died just from exposure 
that first terrible winter at Valley Forge. The movements of Washington's Continental Army, my friends, could actually be traced by bloody footprints in the snow. But it was the indomitable spirit of those earthly early patriots that made this nation a great nation. And it was that indomitable spirit that was reflected again and again through the years that followed. It was seen at the Argonne, Pearl Harbor, Bataan, Iwo Jima. It was seen at the Battle of the Bulge. It was seen in Korea and Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq. You find that indomitable spirit on the battlefield. You find that indomitable spirit among the people of America. You would be hard-pressed to find it in the halls of government. To be sure, those sacrifices were made so that you and I could have liberty. And so that you and I could have freedom. That we could have the liberty to worship God. Without fear of governmental interference. Something that sadly many in government today seem to have lost sight of or else are just totally unaware of. Especially when you think of some of the restrictions that have been placed in recent days on houses of worship. Memorial Day. It's all about remembering. Because you see, locked away in every one of us is a treasure house full of memories. Which one of us has not at some point in our lives, through the magic of memory, been a child again? Which one of us can see, some folks call them fireflies, I call them lightning bugs. But which one of us can see a lightning bug by the side of the road as we travel and not remember those times as children that we ran and chased and tried to catch them and keep them in a jar? In our memory, we can do that again. In our memory, we're skipping stones across a lake. We're walking through tall meadow grass. In our memory, we remember what it was like to fall in love for the very first time. We remember our wedding day. We remember the birth of our children. And some of our memories are filled with happiness and joy. And you wouldn't exchange a single one of them for all the money in the world, the cattle on a thousand hills, or all the tea in China. But then we also have other memories. Memories that aren't so pleasant. Memories that are painful. Memories that are filled with tears and memories that sometimes still hurt. But without our memories, we would stumble through a world of confusion. We'd forget to stop at a red light. We'd forget to go when the light turns green. Have you ever done that? 
Norma thought I had done it one time. We were at a very long red light in Austin, Texas. Matt and I were in the front seat. Norma's in the back seat. We're on our way home. We've been down to see Brian. And we're at a red light that lasted forever and ever. The light turned green and the cars on either side of us were going and we were just sitting there. And Norman Matt thought that I had forgotten that a green light meant go. It was nothing of the sort. I was asleep. Our memories. Without our memories, important people, important places, and important events would just fade away. Without our memories, we have nothing to remind us of what life is all about. Memories. That's what keeps us from being forgotten. And after all, isn't that something that we are all afraid of? So to keep from being forgotten, people have buildings named after them. We erect museums in honor of other people. We have scrapbooks of special time spent with loved ones. We write in diaries. We have videos of kids as they're growing up. All of us have photo albums filled with pictures. And we go to the cemetery and there are tombstones there in memory of our loved ones. And we go to special places and there are monuments there to the memory of those who contributed to whatever happened at that special place. And all of these things, photo albums, scrapbooks, monuments, tombstones, buildings, museums, all of those things are dedicated to the memories of people and places and events. God knows everything. And God knew that we were a forgetful people, you and me. How many of you have ever forgotten somebody's name? No. How many of you have ever forgotten where you put your keys? How many of you have ever walked through the house looking for your glasses? How many of you have ever forgotten your wife's birthday or a wedding anniversary? We also tend to forget God, don't we? And forget what God has done for us. Tomorrow's Memorial Day for those who've given their lives in the service of their country. But folks, for the Christian, every Lord's Day is Memorial Day. Our text comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. It's there in chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 24. Paul writes, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This memorial that Paul talks about. This memorial that we observed just a few moments ago. It had its origin in the mind of Christ. No one ever thought of the Lord's Supper until Jesus spoke of it. But all three synoptic writers of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell in great detail the proceedings of that memorable night. Here's the way Matthew records it for us in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Approaching the cross, Jesus called His disciples together. And He called them together and He told them, This do in remembrance of Me. See, it's on the front of that table right there in front of us. In the midst of such trying hours, with the shadow of the cross looming over Him, Jesus Christ would not have wasted precious time talking about something that was unimportant or something that was insignificant. And we can be sure this morning that the Holy Spirit did not guide Matthew, Mark, and Luke to record in such detail an incident that was unimportant. And it certainly was not God's intention that it would be narrated by the gospel writers and then forgotten about forevermore. That's why in our text in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes a reminder of this Lord's Supper to the church at Corinth. Christians in the first century, folks, they took that command of the Lord seriously and they observed the Supper. In Acts chapter 2, you read of the establishment of the church. It's Pentecost, the very first one, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And he brought that great sermon that day to its climax. And it says those that gladly received His Word were baptized. And there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. And then the very next verse in Acts 2 and verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those early disciples, my friends, were diligent in observing the Lord's Supper. When you turn over to Acts 20, you find Paul staying over at Troas for a week. 
And verse 7 of Acts chapter 20 tells us that on the very first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. The wording of the passage is indicative of the fact that that was the usual thing that they would do. That is, they met on the first day of the week. And they met to break bread, to observe the supper as Jesus had commanded. Once more, we are led to the conclusion that this memorial feast was considered by the early Christians as something that was important. And it was something that was significant. I want you to travel with me this morning. Go with me by an eye of faith this morning to the events of Calvary. Because what you see that night is you see Jesus employing a principle that all of us are well aware of. Using material elements that have little or no value whatsoever monetarily speaking. But Jesus using those elements for the sake of memory. All of us have something that belonged to our parents or our grandparents or something that our children have made for us and given to us. Something that we treasure, something that's valuable to us, and something that, monetarily speaking, is absolutely worthless. And we cherish it for memory's sake. And for memory's sake alone. I have on a shelf in my office a bunch of those kind of trinkets. I've got a little rock in there, a little small rock about that big. You have any idea what that little rock's worth? It's not made out of gold. It's just a rock. But I have a young cousin. She's in college now. But she was a little bitty girl. And we were having dinner together at a restaurant in Austin with her mother and dad. And all of us were there. And she was playing in the flower bed there at the restaurant. And she picked up a rock and brought it to me. And she said, I want you to have this. And I can look at that little rock and, and I go back in my mind and I see this grown young woman now who was then just a little bitty girl. And I remember the innocent smile that gave me that. I've got a little ceramic cocker spaniel about this tall. Matt was somewhere with his mother and it was close to my birthday. And Matt says, Dad needs this for his birthday. And I've got other things. I've got a little pewter figurine of a father holding a small son that was given to me by Bryant one year on Father's Day. I've got a little plastic cardinal that Norma found, I think, at a dollar store somewhere. And we gave it to my mother when she was in the hospital her very last Christmas. And she would sit it on her hospital tray and that little red cardinal would light up and that was her Christmas decoration. Folks, you could take all those things I just mentioned, put them in a sack, and it's not worth 25 cents. But they're all important to me because of the memories that they have. We come to the table.
and we come to the table with nothing but a little bit of bread and a little bit of fruit of the vine. And that bread and that fruit of the vine, it has absolutely no value in itself. It's worthless. But through those emblems, through that little piece of bread and that small cup of juice, through those emblems, I remember Calvary. I remember Jesus surrounded by the Roman soldiers and the Jewish rabble. I see Jesus numbered with the transgressors. I see Him crucified between two thieves. The sun was darkened. The moon turned to blood. The earth trembled. The angels groaned. And God turned His head. And through those emblems, through that bread and that cup, I remember Calvary. And it was there that my Lord, my Savior, my friend, died. He died for me. He died for my sins. He died for you. And He died for your sins. Every Lord's Day, my friends, is the Christian's Memorial Day. I'm reminded of a story I read not long ago. It was a few weeks before Christmas. It was 1917, over a hundred years ago. And the beautiful, snowy landscapes of Europe were blackened by the clouds of war. The trenches on one side held German soldiers, and trenches on the other side held American soldiers. It was World War I. And the exchange of gunshots was intense, and it was incessant. And separating these two armies in these trenches was a vast stretch known as no man's land. A young German soldier attempting to cross that no man's land had been shot and become entangled in the barbed wire that covered that ground. He cried out in anguish and then in pain he laid there wounded, entangled in the barbed wire and he continued to whimper between the shells. Between the gunshots, all the Americans in that sector could hear was the screamings of this young German soldier. And finally, there was one American soldier that couldn't stand it any longer. And he crawled out of the trenches and he began crawling on his belly toward that German soldier. When the American soldiers realized what he was doing, they stopped firing. The German soldiers continued to fire. And then a German officer realized what that young American was doing. And that German officer ordered his German soldiers to stop firing also. And now, across the battlefield was a weird silence. And on his stomach, that young American soldier made his way to that German soldier. He disentangled him. He stood up. He picked that German soldier up in his arms and he carried him to the German trenches and placed him there in the waiting arms of his comrades. Having done so, he turned and started back to the American trenches. 
And suddenly there was a hand on his shoulder that spun him around. And there he stood, face to face with a German officer. A German officer who had won the Iron Cross. Germany's highest honor for bravery. And that German officer jerked that iron cross from his own uniform and placed it on that American. And he walked back to the American trenches. And when he was safely back in the trenches, do you know what they did? They resumed the insanity of war and started shooting at each other again. But that German officer was thankful for that American soldier's sacrifice. That story touches your heart, doesn't it? That story causes us to become a bit misty-eyed and maybe even brings a tear to our eye. How in the name of Israel's God can people hear the story of Jesus Christ on the cross and view it in such a cavalier, matter-of-fact way. How can people, people in our world today, look at the cross of Jesus Christ and view it with ambivalence and nothing but a cold, analytical attitude? Why can people no longer be touched with the story of Jesus? I don't know the needs of your life this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know whether Jesus is Lord or Master of your life or not. You know that. And you're the only one that can answer that question. But this morning... If there are changes that you need to make for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to come and do that as together we stand and while we sing.